I, I love it. It's great. Great to have children that are engaged within the church and getting all kinds of teaching. In fact, when I, when I stop and I think about just my own upbringing in my life, I received a few things. I'll say from God. In addition to being saved, I received a few gifts from God that I did not pursue, but he purposed to give to me anyway. One of them was he constantly put me in churches and kept me in churches, good churches. They were imperfect, but they were churches that sought the face of God and encouraged me to do the same. That's one of the things I always got. One of the other things I always got, I grew up in a home where my parents knew the Lord and they wanted to lead and shepherd me. And that was a gift. That was a blessing. I didn't seek it. It's just something God gave me. The third thing he gave me was people in my life who purposed to take me aside and to walk with me in the essence of the faith. They discipled me. They tapped me on the shoulder. I wasn't having to tap them on the shoulder. I don't know why God did it that way, but he did. And when I look back, those were some of the greatest gifts I have received in my life. And part of my desire here in this church is that every single person who comes through these doors gets the same gift. You may not have been raised in a Christian home, but my prayer is that God begins with you that you come into a church and you find a people that are imperfect. They don't have everything together, but they're pursuing after God the same as you. And that you would have people who would walk alongside you and help you in your walk to show you who Christ is. When we started this Renew effort, it's been six months ago now, when we started this, this is what my purpose was in mind. Because I gotta tell you, after 16 years of being in this position as the lead pastor, one of my frustrations, one of my difficulties is how do you, how do you help get something like that started? How do you get something like that going? And the enormity behind it, and my, to be very candid, inability to see that happen on a large scale had me praying and asking, God, would you help us to see this get done? And I reminded you six months ago, God gave me a verse. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And the reminder that that verse isn't saying God's looking for the people. He knows the people. God is out finding the resources to then take and to bring towards these people so that they can do and accomplish his work. So we're building a path to get those things established here in this church. And so this Sunday, the next two Sundays, I wanna reveal to you some of the things about how we're purposing to do this. Six months of work and preparing and advancing, trying to accomplish this. What is it yielding to us? Today, what I wanna do is start with you on the whole aspect of discipleship and what our plan is and how we're gonna accomplish it. I read a story in which it, it wasn't that long after JFK gave this big speech in which he gave this vision for America to get a man on the moon within the decade. And so that was the thing that was going through everybody's mind. And it wasn't long after that that JFK was touring one of NASA's facilities. And as he's walking along, he's in this hallway and he encounters this guy with a broom. And he just purposed to come alongside that man and he says, uh, tell me, sir, what, what is it that you're doing here? And the man looked at him and said, Mr. President, I'm doing my part of getting a man on the moon. I love that. I love that vision. The lunar effort needed more than merely engineers and scientists and astronauts. It needed a facility by which people could gather and work and it needed somebody who would maintain that facility. He was doing his part to get America on the moon. In a similar way, Jesus gave a, 
I don't know if I'm doing it injustice by calling it a speech. I'm going to say he gave a command, actually. And we're familiar with it from Matthew 28 because we spent almost two years in the book of Matthew and it culminated with what has been termed the Great Commission in which Jesus said, here's what I have for you. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Bigger than the vision of putting a man on the moon, Jesus has the vision of putting men and women into the kingdom of God. That's his vision and his drive. And that visionary statement has been called by many the Great Commission. Now, a lot of people in the church, looking at the church as a whole, have another name for it. We've called it the great omission, because many times this is what's not happening in the churches. I don't think that that is happening or the omission happens because people are just obstinate. Granted, I'm sure there's a few, but I don't think that's the main reason why that happens for most churches. I think it's more because people, first of all, we have no idea of what a disciple even is. What is it that we're aspiring to? And the second thing is because people just don't know how to make one because no one helped them. No one showed them how to build and how to make disciples. And many people, when they think about just the concept of discipleship, they view it this way. It's sort of like this compartment in our lives. You know, we've got all these different things going on, and here's this component, this compartment over here in which Christ is meant to dwell. Um, that is called a compartmentalized life. And I want to suggest to you that a compartmentalized life destroys discipleship. It doesn't enhance it. It absolutely wrecks it. Because for many, Jesus is present in their life, you know, so he, but he's not really Lord. And then there's other folks where Jesus is prominent in life. You know, maybe it's a, a bigger aspect within their life in which they, he has dominion, but there's a lot of areas in which he's just not going to be allowed to interfere. And Jesus says it, it, it can't work like that. Actually, he demands that he be given preeminence in our lives, that he gets full authority. He is the control hub, and everything else that our life is comprised of falls under that and within that sphere of his control and his domain. There is no distinction between that which is secular and that which is sacred. It's all sacred. That's the life of a disciple. He sees everything as, dis as sacred that we are a people who'll be following the one true God. And that, that tethers us far beyond this world into the divine being who loves us and has given himself for us. And any person who claims and has a faith and belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and is submitted unto him, then that person is a disciple. We can kind of color in the lines a little bit more to ask ourselves, well, are they an engaged disciple? Are they a growing disciple? And do they know that they're meant to continue and to keep growing? Today, what I want to do is help us all to answer that by defining, first of all, what a disciple is, and then some of the specific steps that Blue Ridge is going to have and how you can see your part in this in making and being a disciple, a disciple who grows and will help other people grow as well. Now, how do you describe a disciple? Well, I think it can be a little bit like describing the getaway car in a bank heist, okay? And it's like this. I can say, well, it was a white sedan. That was a getaway car. It was a white sedan. Well, that's a true statement. You know how many white sedans there are out there? It's not totally helpful. How much better if someone says, yeah, I saw it. It was a white Crown Victoria, had silver hubcaps, windows were tinted all around, uh, had a Washington State license plate, and there was a big dent 
in the rear right fender. Now we've got something. The specifics can actually get us somewhere. So when I talk about a disciple, let me give you the white sedan version. A disciple is a lover and a follower of Jesus. But if we want to expand on that a little bit so that we can understand more fully of what it is that we're talking about as a, as a follower of Christ, we'll go a little bit further. We'll say the disciple is someone who sits under Jesus' teaching, learning of God's person and character to do what God commands. They're learning about him for the purposes of then living out what they've learned. That a disciple is someone who's a witness of God's power. They've seen the change that he can do and can bring in a life. And they're going to tell other people about that. That a disciple is someone who is trained for and participates with Jesus in the carrying out of his mission. That they understand he's given them a call and they're going to follow through and execute that call. And finally, a disciple is someone who sees his or her weaknesses and is quick to confess their sins and return to the work to which God has called all of us. So they're not perfect. They recognize that, but they are perfectible and they will allow God to work in them and to change them. And to be a disciple, it's not this method, it is continually moving closer and closer to the heart of God. That's what you wanna be, an individual who knows the person of God and continues to move closer. And that means that every part of our lives is integrated into him. I've called this up here, you've got this vertical dimension. The vertical is, okay, me knowing God, helping others know him, but I know who God is and I'm learning who he is and understanding who I am in light of that. But it isn't just about you because God's gonna also call us into the horizontal where we're looking at these relationships that he has and he's placed in our lives and other people and how I'm meant to live this life out with these other people. And I love the fact that that verse that I read you from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it ends with Jesus saying, I am with you always. You're not out there alone and by yourself. He's going to be in every sphere of our lives at all times. And we're always going to be that disciple who is learning more of him and growing in him. You know, when I was in Boston just a few weeks ago, we, um, we were flying back home and it was the day of the Boston Marathon. And you could tell the people who ran in the Boston Marathon, mostly because they were limping through the airport. But the other way that you knew was their suitcase. And on the suitcase, they had these ribbons that hung off. And you could look and you could just see, and there was a, a label you know, mentioning about how they had run the Boston Marathon. When you're a disciple, you don't get a ribbon. You don't get this thing where you can go, I did it, accomplished, done. Now I can just move on in life. It doesn't work that way. When we have become a disciples, we have entered into a full adventure, an adventure with God for the rest of our days. Now, what is this gonna look like for us specifically as a church, for Blue Ridge? Well, I got a diagram up here, and there's a lot of things up there. We're gonna go through it. If you need a close-up version, you can go to the app, tap on Life Groups, look at Life Group Guide, look at today's, and it's on there. You can just scroll down, you can follow along with something that you can read very clearly here. But again, discipleship, we're not gonna view it merely as this program where you do it, you graduate it, you complete, you get the ribbon, and then you move on in life. Not at all. So I'm gonna walk you through some of the steps because that inner circle is showing you how these steps are gonna unfold for us. And I wanna give a special shout out and a big thanks to both Tim Murphy and uh, Brittany Paste 
The two of them worked really hard with our team, and they, there's other people that have been a part of this and helping us think this through, but they really did a lot of the lion's share in helping to get us to this point. So big shout out to them to find that pathway. Let me walk you through it. Here's the first step for every disciple that we see, and that is your entry, entering. The first thing you gotta do is you wanna enter into a relationship with God before you can become a disciple, right? I mean, that's the way we, we have, you can't be a disciple unless you have that with God. But that, that, that vertical relationship, it nearly almost always begins 99.9% .9 of the time with you first having a relationship with somebody else. It's the other person in the horizontal that introduces you to the one by whom you would follow. Now, how, what are the doors of entry where people come in? What's the point of contact that they've got? There's really three places that we see and we understand. One is gonna be the front door, literally. They're gonna walk into church and they're gonna go, I'm looking for a church, I wanna know more about God, or I'm, I'm trying to find a church because I'm new to the area. And so that's gonna be the point of entry that they're gonna come into and see us in. But the other one is gonna be the door of the birth canal. Some of you are believers and then you have children, God grants you that, and then as those children come out, that's their entry into the Christian life, into the church. It begins with you as parents expanding into the church. And then finally, the door of a relationship with somebody who's a disciple. This is where you're out there and you're in the workforce, you're in, the, you're in school, you're wherever, and you're rubbing shoulders with these people. And now they encounter Christ because they've encountered you. And so the path to entering into a relationship with God, again, comes back to when our relationships that we're going to have point people upwards, where we begin to let them know who he is. It starts this way, and we're routing them this way to know this God. And we see this in the scriptures, in the book of Acts. I'm sure many of you might remember the story of some of the people who came to faith this way. When the church first became Christians, they continued to meet at the Jewish synagogue, and as they did so, they would go there and they would share their faith and, and talk with the people who were coming into their literal doors. Right up until the point, the church said, we're kicking you out. Or the synagogue said, we're kicking you out because you, we don't believe that same message. So then they had to go out on the streets. And as they went out, then they began to let this relationship that they had be known with the people that they knew to point people towards the vertical. We see a specific story in which a guy named Cornelius, a Roman, gets a vision from God I've always found it interesting, if God is gonna to speak to Cornelius, why didn't he just tell him the message of the gospel? It's because God was setting up a pattern. The message of the gospel of how to get to God was gonna come through the horizontal. I'm gonna send you a guy, his name's Peter, listen to what he says. And that's how the gospel would enter into this man's life. Or you think about um, Philip. Philip's just happy the disciple, he's walking along, all of a sudden this guy pulls up in a Bentley, you know, Ethiopian, and he's reading the Bible. He looks over, oh, you're reading the Bible? Yeah, what you reading? Well, it's the book of Isaiah. Well, you understand what you're reading? Not one bit. I don't get any of it. Would you like to? Come on in my car. Let's ride for a while. You talk, I'll listen. And it happened at the relationship level by which we could find an entry to where this man could come to know God. But it wouldn't happen until Philip got in the, um, got in the vehicle with him. So God works through this entry point, and we need to recognize those entry points. Now, let me tell you what this means practically for a lot of us. Let's imagine JFK didn't go to NASA. He came in here into this church, and he asked you this question. Um, 
What do you do in Jesus' mission? What are you doing here? Anybody that come in here that's a greeter? Somebody that's out there at the coffee bar? Somebody that's downstairs in the check-in room? These people are going to look up and they're going to say, I welcome people into our fellowship. I understand part of discipleship happens right here. I'm the face, the voice you get to meet first. And the, with the intention is that somehow as a church, we could point you this way if you don't know this God. So the first step, welcoming them into the fellowship with one another to direct them towards a fellowship with God. If you're a parent, this is what you would say. God has blessed me with this little child. I'm the first point of contact that this child is going to understand love and acceptance and be taught the word. I'm the first base. And so I'm going to purpose to let this child know that and invest in him or her. And then for any people who are just out in the workplace, out in the world somewhere, whether it's a neighbor or you're, you're in the outfield on a kid's baseball team, a coworker, you'd say, here's my role. The Spirit of God is using me to encounter people and to love them with the purposes of moving things in a spiritual dimension. I want them to see it by my life. And if God opens the door, I want them to see it by my speech. But every disciple is a relational entry point. Don't forget that for people to be introduced to Jesus. There's a door and we need to see and understand that. And we're part of that door. Our daughter is a nurse out in Colorado and she works in the ER. She's always enjoyed working in the ER, but now she's a little older. She's married. She has a little baby and she's got another one on the way. And I was talking with her one day and you know, Sarah, why are you doing this? You know, y'all don't have to do this. You don't have to do it for the money. And you're losing sleep because you've got to work these night shifts on the weekends. And the work is really hard. What, what's going on? I'll never forget her answer. She said, Dad, most of the people I work with, in fact, I think all of them, I'm the only Christian in their life. Nobody else is speaking to them. Nobody. And I thought, you're the mobile church. You're church on wheels. God's got you, and he's got you out there so that your life becomes the entry point by which another person can encounter God. That's the first step for us. The second step that we have is to then join. Now, when we say join our church, there's a step that's very necessary before that. The individual has to join in relationship with God himself. They have to be saved before they can ultimately join with us. Yeah, anybody can come in, anybody can be a part of things, anybody can, can join us in that sense. But we wanna, we wanna shepherd and guide them towards a relationship in which they are joined heart and soul unto God himself. And so then after having joined God as a disciple, the next step is to bring them in here where they can join the local church. Or if you're looking online, and maybe you can't go to this church, you join the church where you're at and the place where you live, where you can identify with Christ and his church and be numbered with other believers. Again, what are we gonna do? We're starting at the horizontal level, right? The relationship level to then go to the vertical so that people understand who God is. And then when they understand who God is and they're a disciple, they come back into the vertical to engage with one another and with other people and to help others in their walk. So you identify with Jesus' bride, the church, and you become a member of a local church. A church, and here's why. Here's, people ask me, why do I need to join a church? Here's the, here's the answer. Our mission is to entrust souls to you. Souls. 
I want to know you're a believer before I give you some, that kind of responsibility. Are you a believer? And are you committed to pouring out your life in that way? The way you're going to show us is you're going to give us your testimony, and then you're going to commit. You're going to say, yes, that's me. That's what I want to do. Hebrews 10, 24 gives us a command. Let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. Let's encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, after he kills his brother, remember what God does? Comes to him and he says, where's your brother? Remember Cain's answer? Why are you asking me? Am I my brother's keeper? And the long answer is, or the short answer is, yeah. Yeah, you are his keeper. You're responsible for his care, for his well-being, for helping him, for assisting him, loving him to take responsibility to aid and commit to him. And that's what we do with one another. We're, we're not a brother's keeper to be big brother, like 1984 version, but a loving brother, like Christ is with us. So when we join a church, you know, this is sort of a segment. The print's too small here, I understand, but we sign a covenant. And here's the essence of what we're saying in the covenant. The first line that we're saying is, I'm going to protect the unity of my church. We're going to come in here and build up the unity by love, by our resolve to solve our conflicts, by submitting under leadership. And then we're going to go the next step by helping and engaging with others, uh, by sharing in the ministry of the church and pursuing growth and to pray for it and to be here for it, for one another. And then finally, I'm going to cooperate in the mission of my church, to be engaged in service, to be engaged behind it financially, to be engaged with it in truth and sharing the truth. So at this stage, JFK walks up, says, what's your role here at Blue Ridge? The answer, I'm a member of the body of Jesus Christ, and I am joined together with these others, and I'm committed to serving Jesus by serving one another and helping others in their love and in their faith with Jesus' church. When I decided I want to be a naval aviator, I didn't get to just go walk in and climb into a jet. It didn't work that way. I had to go first to the recruiter, and I had to go sign a piece of paper, and I had to raise my right hand, and I had to join the United States Navy. It was only then, after I swore to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I made my commitment that they then said, then let's take you and move you forward. Let's get you in that cockpit. And so the joining had to precede the training. And that kind of leads me into the third point here. Because after you've entered the church and you've joined in its mission in following Christ, the third area is to then learn. This is where you grow. And we're not, we're not going to impart knowledge just for knowledge's sake. We want to know the heart of God. We want to know who he is and what he wants and what he desires so that we then can just align with him. In 2 Peter, the apostle Peter wrote this sort of as his conclusion to his book and saying this, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because folks, you can't love what you don't know. And you have to grow in what you know of God to then grow in your love for God. And so we want to do that with you. That's, that's why the ministries exist. We've got a series of them kind of listed up here. But the ministries we have are tools to help bring that about, to enable you to know and to understand this. I think about life groups. You know, a big part of what the life groups are doing is this horizontal level to where you can know other people in the faith and you can be known by them. Now, there's a vertical component too. You know, we're going to study the word. We're going to learn what God has to say together. 
but a big part of it is that you know other people. Can I tell you one of the biggest things that I hear from people in this church, and men in particular? I talk to men, and I'll ask them this question. Who are your friends? Do you have any friends? 90% say, no. I have no friends. I, I quit asking a question, then I tell them. I'm going to tell you why you don't have a friend. You know why? You don't have a consistent point of intersection with a person. Because friendship requires time and being life on life repeatedly. And if you're not going to do that, then you're not going to have friends. And a big part of being a disciple is having people with you that you're friends with and that you're growing with and you're helping out. Some of the other ministries we got up here, we got Ridge classes. You know, there's a lot of knowledge that's involved with that. And we want to give you knowledge. We want to give you knowledge about doctrine. We want to give you knowledge about um, how, to, how to live out your Christian life in relationships that you have. We're taking the children. We want them to know stuff too, right? We're trusting the parents to give them Bible stories, but if the parents are bringing them here, we're trusting they want us to give them the Bible stories too. So what are we doing? We're teaching them the Bible stories. Um, in the fall, we're going to bring back this whole gospel project curriculum because in that curriculum, we're not only going to give them the stories, you give them over 99 points of truth and doctrine over four years because we want them to know and understand in its fullness. You got kids in Awana? David just mentioned it here. What, that's all they do. They bring these kids in. They build relationships. They invest in the children. We have these older people that are doing this and to equip them. And the youth group doing the same thing, a place for the young folks to grow, to continue to learn, and to continue to build up their community. In fact, this past Wednesday, I was at a meeting. I get done with the meeting. I go downstairs. You would not believe the number of people that are on the first floor on a Wednesday night. All these young people and, and, and all these older people that are in these groups with them, pouring their lives into them, partnering with David and getting them the truth. David took the young people. I think he had six, five or six people in which he had those young folks get up and speaking the truths about what God's doing in their lives. That's transformative, folks. That is massive in helping people. We've got our men's study. We've got women's study. I mean, there's just so many different things that we're doing here. Why? We don't want you busy, all right? We want you fruitful. How do you get fruitful? You gotta know God. And how do you know God? You gotta get on the path to learning about him. And we wanna see every disciple here involved in some form of growing in knowledge. A knowledge that has this as a result, which you see in 1 Timothy 1.5, that the goal of our instruction is love. Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So if JFK comes in, what's your role in growing as a disciple? You say, I wanna grow to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. And I'm gonna love my neighbor by helping them to do the same thing. I'm here to learn and grow. Fourth one, next step, entirely different level here. And that is we wanna take people and we want to train them. Now this is where you go life on life. This is more commonly gonna be done one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-four, five, something like that. But this isn't a big group. This is where you get small and you get intimate. And I think of it like this. If you came and you said, you know, I want to run a marathon, okay? We got to get you there. Because if you just start tomorrow, you're going to be like those people I saw in the Boston Marathon limping everywhere you go. You get a personal trainer who says, okay, we're going to do this much this today, and this is our goal for this week, and we're going to build and expand and go from there. It's the same thing in the Christian life. You need a personal trainer. Somebody who's a little bit further, one step ahead, 
who can go before you and can walk and can help you along the way. Y'all remember chemistry class? Yeah, anybody here going to convulsions, you know, when I mentioned that? <laughs> you went in there and you learned the theory and you learned the math. That wasn't enough. They made you go to this other thing called the lab. And it was in the lab, you had to take the stuff you were learning and you had to mix it together. And you had to figure out how this whole thing works. You had to go hands on. And that's what God wants to do with you. And that's what he will do in discipleship. You get out of theory and now you go into lab and you start living it. So it's life on life. Um, I've, again, I've seen this, I've lived this. When I grew up in my home, this is what my mom and my dad did with me. They sat down with me. They taught me the truths of the Bible. They taught us, especially when we were young, about worship, about prayer and answered prayer, about how to get along with people, you know, and, and how do you deal with somebody who's a bully with you in your school? How do you deal with the hard situations? The biggest thing I learned from them, unconditional love that they had for each other, and they turned around and they gave to us. Not a word was spoken. That was the biggest message I got. It started there. But then it went further. I had a youth pastor, pulled me aside. He said, I'm gonna teach you how to study the Bible. And then he said, kind of like what David did with these people this past week, now you're gonna teach this Sunday, or this Wednesday night, this Sunday. I was like, what? Yeah, you're gonna teach, I'm gonna help you. And it was scary, but it was that being stretched, being one-on-one, -on -one, something I wasn't gonna do on my own. But here's another person who said, this is where you need to go and help me out. Next, when we, when we were in the Navy, I had this guy, a Navy physician assistant, and we're in church one day, he comes up, he taps me on the shoulder, says, we got a small group, we'd like for you to come. I go, that guy had a very big ulterior motive. <laughs> he wanted not mean for us to come to the group, he wanted to teach us how to lead a group. He wanted to make sure we knew how to share our faith. He wanted to make sure that we knew all these different aspects of the Christian life, and he purposed to do that with us. And then finally, when I came into this role here, I had not yet been to seminary. I'd taken some courses along the way, but I hadn't been to seminary when I stepped into here. We had a guy, his name was John Zariva, and John had a big degree out of Dallas Seminary. And so I pulled him aside one day and said, John, this is a big task. And he goes, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna help you. He says, I've taken all these preaching classes. And so he sat down with me week after week and he would just bring these books and he would bring these papers and he would tell me these things that he learned to help me in that phase of my walk. It goes back to, we never stop being a disciple. It continues just for the next phase of life that we're in. And we're always trying to take people that are behind us and bring them along. So we wanna do this with you. I mean, we've, this team has been working to compile a whole series of materials and various books that we've got, working to give everyone here something that will help them in the phase where they are. So are you a new believer and you gotta learn basic truths? We wanna help you with that. Are you maybe newly married? You need some help. We want to help you with that. Disciple you in it. Kids, same thing. How do I engage with folks in the workplace? Same thing. There's so many different areas, but we want to bring these things to you with people. We don't want to just throw a book and a website at you. We want to walk with you as we go through these materials. And I'm going to give you a whole lot more on that next week. But this is life on life. And this is where you get to ask the questions that you probably aren't gonna ask in the big group. These are the questions Google is completely insufficient to answer for you. You know, you can go there, but it's not gonna give you necessarily what God has to say. This is the place where you get to go and you talk about the issues, this kicking the slats out of your life, you know? Like, what do I do about lust? Most of us aren't gonna ask that in a study with men and women that are present. 
you'll do it one-on-one, especially if you trust the person and you're struggling here. What, what do I do with online gambling? Is that okay? This is the kind of place where you go and you find answers. Is debt okay in some circumstances? Uh, how do we interpret some of these hard passages in the scriptures? Uh, how do I do that? What do I do? Should I buy a house or should we keep renting? Should I quit my job and enter the ministry or should I continue to stay in my job because this is my ministry? These are the things that life is comprised of and we need help with. And I just need someone who's a little bit further who will look back and say, I know you and I know God and I love him and I love you and I want to help you on this path. So our goal is not just to make you a disciple, it's to make you a growing, effective disciple. I want to make you a dangerous disciple. Someone who the the gates of hell itself are deathly afraid of because you walk and know God. And you can get there. He will take you to that point. But that's four steps. I got one final one. Hang in there with me. Almost done here. The final step is it coincides with training. And that is you got to be someone who's ready and willing to train another. This is where the big boys and the big girls play. This is above the rim, ladies and gentlemen. You got to step up on this one. Now, this doesn't mean you got to take on some massive endeavor, all right? You, you just heard Brittany talking about vacation Bible clubs. We got all these people that are coming alongside us and we're training them into how to share the gospel, how to lead these group studies with people, how to run a VBS in someone's backyard so that they then can train others and do this with children of various ages. Uh, I talked about Awana earlier. Part of the whole program, if you stay with Awana, is you start being taught, and then you go to what's called a leader in training, where we're gonna equip you to turn around and do the exact same thing for others that people did for you. Good friend of mine, um, when, he, when he became a believer, he didn't grow up in a Christian home, he became a believer, he's in his early 20s. Didn't know anything about the Bible, starts going to church, Pastor pulls him aside one day and says, I want you to teach Sunday school, children's Sunday school. He goes, Pastor, I don't even know the Bible. Pastor said, no problem. Took a children's Bible, turned around, gave it to him, and said, I'll help you. You learn this. You just teach one lesson a week and see what happens. So he would go, and the whole week he would read his lesson. He would know it cold. And then on that Sunday morning, he would go out, he would act the lesson out in front of the kids. And he began to see God using him as he took the little knowledge that he had, but he was one step ahead of them. And he turned around and he poured it into those that were behind him. Today, that guy's a missionary overseas. God worked in his life to train and to teach and to bring him up. So when you step up to begin to train another, nobody's going to learn more than you. I've said that before with anybody who's teaching or leading. Nobody learns more than the teacher. Nobody learns more than the leader. You do, and you continue to grow in this. Is that intimidating? Everybody say, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is why it's important. You have to trust God in a way you never have before. You got to get out there, and it's scary. And that's the whole point. God shows up when you step out like that. And uh, are you going to get asked questions you don't know the answers to? Everybody say, yeah. Yes, you are. You want, you want to know who asked the hardest questions, the one that always stumped me the most? Little kids, new Christians. They're the ones that are willing to ask the question that everyone else feels like, well, I don't know that I can ask that. Oh, they'll do it. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, that's a real good question. I have no idea. 
I'll try to help you. You know, we'll see if we can't find an answer as we go forward. You're going to grow, though, when you step out and you do this. True story. It's about, it was before the pandemic, about a year before the pandemic. There was a young man who came down to me right after a service and pulled me aside and said, I got a question for you. What's that? I don't really know what you're talking about when you get up there and you speak. I need some help in understanding this Christian life. Would you do that with me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we purpose, we set aside time each week. We sat down and we just began to talk. It began with just things that were going on in his life. And he began to share these difficulties and hurdles that he was having. But then we kept moving towards the essence of the gospel. And after a while, I'm just talking with him about the gospel and he goes, stop. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is who he is, and I'm going to follow him. I was like, great. He goes, what do I need to do? I said, well, the next thing you need to do, well, let's get you baptized. He goes, baptized? Okay, let's do it. That was terrifying for him. Not, baptism wasn't terrifying. What was terrifying is going to be standing in front of everybody and giving his testimony. But he did it because perfect love casts out fear. And he knew this is what God would have me to do. So I'm going to step out in faith and take this action. Um, things continued. He continues to learn. Well, I need more. So we sit down. We start covering more, giving him more information, teaching him more things. And then he got involved in a ministry here in the church. And I'm wondering, now how's this going to go? This is, I think it's going to go great. And it did. And he just, I just, it was, I was amazed as I watched him just continue to take a next step. He wasn't just doing these huge leaps. It was just a next step, and God was faithful. One of the biggest ones for me was after we were in the tent during the pandemic. And afterwards, um, I asked him if he'd met anybody. He said no. And I said, well, I just want to encourage you. You know, meet somebody. He goes, you don't understand. I get a lot of anxiety turning around just introducing myself and saying hey to people. I said, I understand. I understand. Give it a shot. He did, and then he continued to do it. And then he would just purpose, that was like his mission in church. I'm going to find somebody I don't know, and I'm going to go greet them. And if they're new, I'm going to make sure they feel welcome. And if they've been here a long time, well, then I'm now going to know who they are. And he just continued to do that, stepping way outside of his comfort zone. Why is that? Because he was a growing disciple. He got it. God isn't here for me. God has given me everything. Now he's calling me to step out and to give to him. He entered with us by first entering with Jesus and then with us as a church. And then he joined in fellowship with Jesus such that he could then join in fellowship with us as a church, became a member. And then he continued to be taught. And then he began to take what he'd been taught to then begin to apply it. He was being trained and he was faithful in what he'd been trained. Then he turned around and he trained others. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the next steps. That's how it works. And you just think about where am I in this and then, how would God have me to apply where I am in this church and to go? And folks, when you get, a, when you, when you get into this, this isn't some theory, some lesson. This is life-changing. This will change everything for you. It's an entire way of life built on the purpose that Jesus has given to you. I'll end with this. There's a story, Don Quixote. There's a scene in which Don Quixote has his friend Sancho Panza next to him. And he speaks about this look that he saw in these soldiers that were in a battle. And the soldiers were dying in his arms. And he said, every time I looked in these 
men's, these dying men's eyes as they sat there in my arms. He said, their eyes always seemed to be asking a question. Sancho Panza said, you think the question was, why am I dying? And Quixote said, no. It was the question, why was I living? That is the tragedy of life without the ultimate source of meaning that's found in Christ and then in his mission. And disciples of Christ, we should never have to wonder, why was I living? What, what was the point of that? We have it. We know we're here to bring glory to God. Every single one of us in the ways that he has opened up to us and we submit to him. And the gracious and loving master is the one that we're submitting to, not a harsh one. The one who's given us a purpose in life and direction to make disciples even as we are growing as followers of disciples. So my challenge to you, it's time to start living. It's time. God wants to use you. And by God's grace, this church and the people that come in it are gonna fulfill that purpose as we make disciples, even as we ourselves continue to follow, continue to grow, and are continuing to be made disciples.